0: I want to speak about communion today, and I want to touch on that, and I want to take my thoughts and observations today from a great book by Chris Hodges, who's pastor of Church in the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama, who wrote this book, Four Cups, and God's promise of fulfillment, the four core promises. This book is not a very lengthy book at all, but it is a powerful book. And I encourage you, pick it up and read it because it really will change your life. And I want to go through and share some of the observations that he has through his book on the four cups and the promises of God's fulfillment. You know, every day, you know, men and women, we talk, we hear promises made, promises broken in, in each of our lives. We, we understand that men and women make promises to stay together for the rest of their lives and many fall apart. Politicians promise many things. Reverse the economic decline, restore the trust. But most promises fail, though, we understand, at least not until the, the next election comes around. Do we get that? But chances are you've heard plenty of promises in your lifetime, no doubt. And many of them have probably been been broken, whether it's at home, it could be at work, it could be even in the church. People have a tough time keeping their promise. But when somebody makes a promise it piques our interest doesn't it it really does it piques our interest and it's a promise they're saying hey you're going to love this you're going to you're going to like it this is a promise and we know what happens is they want to intrigue us to to stimulate our imagination to try something new in our lives something maybe we've never tried before but when god makes a promise he hopes to pique our interest so that we will experience the fullness of this exciting journey that he has for us. Amen? God makes a promise to us. And God's covenant with us usually comes down to a meal, a cup that seals and guarantees all of his covenant promises. And so we understand, as we come to the table of the Lord today, that we understand the cup was the guarantee of a new covenant that Jesus served his disciples. Matter of fact, I'm gonna be going through a lot of scripture today, so you're probably gonna to wanna to write some of these down or get on our church app, which is, we feel, a great way for you to stay connected with the notes, and you can take them with you throughout the week, and you can download that app. But Luke 22, 20, it says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup. So the, the cup has a powerful meaning all made clear in the first Passover meal that Israel had in Egypt. And I, and I want you to see this and to rewind. The cup of the Lord is actually four separate cups, each with promises from God. And so it's important that we not only see them, we understand them, and we can live by them. And so it is a covenant. When Jesus would have observed the Passover meal in the New Testament, the Passover celebration... Even as far back as the book of Exodus, until today, currently, Jewish people, when they celebrate the Passover meal, there would be, yes, the bread that they would receive, but not one, but four cups that they received with the uh, observation of communion. They would actually read one passage of Scripture, the same passage since the book of Exodus. And we're going to go to the book of Exodus in just a moment, Exodus 6, if you want to prepare as you go there. The, this is the Moses story, and in the passage, it has these four statements, and they drink a cup of wine with each statement. Now, now we don't have wine. We do grape juice here. It reminds me of the time way back when, um, you know, a little bit of zing in the cup. Kristen, at one of our churches, we were, she was preparing uh, the uh, emblems, and uh, the, the one Sunday, uh, she you know, made it, and uh, everybody, you know, took the cup in the service, and woo, there was a little bit of zing, and well, she happened to use sparkling grape juice or, that day, and everybody, whoa, I mean, there's something special in this today, you know, but uh, so we don't serve the wine here. We, we do the juice, just so you know, but, um, but, uh, but, but with each cup, they used to drink that as a promise to what God had already told them to do. And these cups represented God's plan for people's lives. And so it was God's plan with the children of Israel inside of Egypt. The plans of God are eternal. Those same four plans are inside of the Great Commission. They're all the way through the book of Acts. They're all the way through the Old and the New Testament. That's how powerful this is. And each one of the four cups reveals God's presence in a distinct and a powerful way. They are, these cups are, they are uniquely personal and will bring spiritual transformation. So if you'll just kind of tune in here for the next few moments, I believe that God, through our understanding of his word, will bring transformation in our lives if we will allow it to. More than 3,000 years ago, God had made some promises to a group of people in Egypt, the Israelites. And those promises continue to stand in the heart of everything that we should do in our lives, of what He's called us to do. The God of the universe has an offer on the table for you and for me. He's made some promises that He wants us to know. Do you want to know what His promises are this morning? Say amen. 2 Peter 1 4, inside of this passage, it says, God has given us this great and precious promises, his very great and precious promises, so that through them, so through what? So that through the promises, there have come purposes, two purposes, and these are big. First of all, that you may participate, and I may participate in the divine nature of God. There's a chance today that you are participating in something in your life that's not divine. There's a chance today that as you've come, you're not participating in God's realities for what he's called you and I to live in. Many Christians are living this way. They are living in the world's realities rather than God's realities. How many of you know that the world's realities are different from God's realities? Isn't that true? Those are two different realities. You are a Christian but you're participating in a natural life. I want to let you know today that God has never called believers to live in a natural life. He's called us to live a supernatural life. Amen? He's never called us just to live naturally. He's called us to live supernaturally with his promises. And so he goes on, he's talking, and also to escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, I not only want to know these two promises, I want to live by them. How about you? That, that both of these are in the Word. The Bible calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit. These promises are weaponry that can help you escape corruption and the world caused by evil desires, because we all know that they're there. Here's the definition of promise. Promise is an offer with a guaranteed result. And so I want to put that out in front of you today. God has an offer on the table. And chances are that you and I haven't realized that offer that he has called us to live in. God has more available to us than we even realize today. There's an offer in the form of promises that God wants to give you and I. God has promises for you and me and I'm going to let you know something today that when God promises something, they always come to pass. God never breaks his promises and he always keeps them. Matter of fact, Joshua 21 45 says, Not one of all the Lord's promise, good, good promises to Israel failed, but every one was fulfilled. That's powerful. He never failed once on any of his promises, but he fulfilled them. While they were living in this portion of Joshua, they thought, oh, there's no way that these promises are going to come about. Even when it seemed that way, God ended up fulfilling his promises. Some here today, you maybe thought, well, God doesn't fulfill his promises. Maybe something and somewhere in your life, you've thought, hey, God doesn't fulfill his promises, and I'm going to let you know that through Scripture, our basis, he always fulfills them, and we're going to show you in just a moment. Hebrews 6, 17 through 18, I told you there's going to be a lot of Scripture, in the Message Bible says, When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word, which is a rock-solid guarantee. This is the Message Bible. God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. What is he saying? Well, they are eternal. He always wants to do them. And there's nothing that you can do to change that. So what does he say? We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promise hope with both hands and to never let go. Now, If you have a desire to go to higher heights, I'm gonna tell you something, this is the church for you. If you have no desire to go to higher heights in your relationship with the Lord, this is probably not the church for you. Because we are a church that as imperfect as we are, are trying to grab a hold of the promises of God and live by them and go to higher heights. If you believe that, say amen. That's very true that we want to continue to move forward in our pursuit of who Jesus is and what he has promised to us. So it's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline. What is? The promises, reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God, that's the offer. Now, in the middle of this, there's three things you need to know about promises. Number one, first of all, you need to know his promises. First Chronicles seventeen nineteen. Oh, Lord, for the sake of your servant and according to your will, you have done this great thing and have made known all of these great promises. What David is doing here is he is worshiping and he is celebrating the fact that that I see you now, God, do a great thing. and, 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 And I see the promises now that you have said that you're going to do. And you think, well, where are all of his promises? They are in his word. They are in his word. The Bible is a book of promises. How many of you know that? Did you know that the word of the Lord is a book of promises? That's why you and I need to be in the word of the Lord. We need to be in the word of the Lord on a daily basis and hunger for his word. See, so many are in the Bible to conquer the word. If I can just get through 40 pages, that's going to be great. If I can just get through... the Bible, That's not why the Bible is there. The Bible is there so that the promises and the hope that we have in the word of the Lord, that we would come and we would gain a nugget of truth. If I could encourage you one thing today, would you read the word of the Lord with a heart of hunger that you would discover at least one nugget of truth Every single day that you get into the word of the Lord and allow his promises to speak to your life. Now, I don't know about you. I don't understand every word in this Bible. I'm sorry. I don't. Do you? Uh Uh-uh. But I keep reading the word of the Lord because I hunger for the nuggets of truth that are in there and hunger for more of the Lord and try to gain an understanding of the word of God. God wants us in his word every day, some way that we would get into the word and we would dig out the nuggets of truth that he has for you and me. Amen that we would be in there and we would hunger for that. All of it's not going to make sense. I, I know I have a lot of people come and talk with me, and, and, and maybe they've talked with you as a Christian that's known the Lord for a long time, and like, I don't understand some of it. I don't understand some of it either, but that doesn't deter me from continuing to stay in it, to learn from it, and to stay in it and hunger for it and want to gain an understanding through God's word. Find the nugget of truth. So, and the reason why it's so important to be in the word of the Lord, it's like Psalm 127.1, you may have fear in your life, but it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation Whom shall I fear? That's why it's good to know the promises of the Lord. So when you and I have fear, we know the nugget of truth. Well, if if you feel like the devil is on your back, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Luke 10, 19, I've been given authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. I've been given power over all the enemy and nothing by any means shall harm me in Jesus' name. If you have sickness in your body, Psalm 103 today, bless the Lord, O my soul. Wow, this place is quiet today. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name who forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases, Psalm 103. Can I hear an amen, and could we give the Lord praise this morning? Because he's worthy. Do you know the nuggets of God's truth so that when problems come into your life, you know them and you can say them, not for God's sake, but for yours, that you are reminded of his promises. And there, as we read a moment ago, you can hang on to the promises of God with both hands. And so, you know, there's so many great scripture verses throughout the Word. If you go to the dentist, crown him with many crowns. I mean, isn't that great? Well, that's not a scripture verse, but it's a song. Okay, open wide thy mouth and I will fill it. That's a dentist verse right there. All right, right? So that, that you can find a verse for something. You've got to make sure it's a verse, right? You need to understand his promises. I need to understand his promises. That's another point. We need to understand God's promises. Numbers twenty-three, nineteen. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? So there's some things about promises we need to understand inside of this. The first thing is, God's promises, they're unconditional. That means no sin can undo the promises of God. You and I need to let that sink in for just a minute. No matter how much sin you have in your life, it can never undo the promises of God because God's promises are true and forever. Now, also the promises of God are conditional. This means like every promise has a premise. That means like it has some role in what you and I are to play in it. See, it is unconditional at one point because God will do it in spite of stupidity of humanity or whatever it may be, but also it is conditional that we have some role to play in it, that we would be obedient to the promises of God, that to walk in right relationship is the right thing to do. Secondly, God always requires faith. Trusting in God makes you close to him. How many of you in this room today can say, I am going through a problem, a struggle, a trial, something, whatever you want to call it. Can I see your hand? Yeah. And and do you know why you're there? Not because God hates you. It's because God wants you close to him. It's because he wants a relationship with you. And if everything was going great all the time, we probably wouldn't but that we are drawn in and we want to get closer, closer to the master so that we would know him in these times of struggle and trial and circumstances. So it requires that leap. It requires faith, though. He wants relationship with you. Three, God does it his way and in his time. How many of you know that? Because... 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes. Can you say yes? yes. They are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, can you say amen? Yes. Is spoken by us to the glory of God. They are yes, they are amen, they are yes, they are so be it inside of him. So know them, understand them, and the third thing is we need to pursue his promises. I need and you need to pursue his promises and we need to run them down. Psalm 119, 140. Your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them. Now listen, you can't just claim the promises of God. You have to pursue them. Whoa, wait, that just, that just got some of your theology thinking, didn't it? Oh, I can't just claim the promises of God? Well, it's one thing to claim them. It's another thing to pursue them. Amen? Amen? You have to go after them. Eight verses later, in the same chapter, he said, my eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. Meditating. When he went to bed, he was thinking about how to pursue God's promises. Are you pursuing God's promises today? Or are you just claiming them? Are you pursuing the promises of the Lord? And the way that you do that is you have to know what the promises of the Lord are and you have to understand them and go after them and it's okay to repeat them back to God to remind them. Promise comes from the word pro and miss. Two words literally means to send forth, but it always makes a guarantee about your future. That if you know them, you understand them and you pursue them, there is a better life than you currently are living. So if you really are loving the life that you currently are living, we envy you. We envy you. But if you think there is a better life, yes, there is a better life. How many of you are cur- no show of hands, no show of hands. How many of you are currently living like, you know what? There is a better life for me to have in Christ Jesus? I'm going to let you know something. There's a better life than you and I are living in this room. Do you believe that? There is a deeper walk with the Lord. There is a better life that God has for you and me. Because we haven't arrived yet. All the other promises of God in his word center around God's four core promises. That's what we're going to go through. Exodus 6, 6 through 7. Then we're going to receive communion together in just a moment. God's core four promises uh, that are brought out through this book found in Exodus 6, 6 through 7. As you're there, I want us to look at this because they are in these two verses. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. What is, what is God saying? I just want to get you out of this place that you were in. I can't even start working on your life until I get you out of Egypt. I, I can't even start working on your life That probably is a mess until I I get you and I move you physically out of the place of Egypt from under the yoke and the oppression of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves. Now, if you look at this, that sounds like what he already did in Egypt. Like, I'm moving you out. That's what I'm going to do because there are many people that are not slaves anymore, but still have a heart. Of slavery. There are many confessing believers and current Christians that say they are a believer in Christ, but they are still living as a heart of slavery. They are still in the bondage they've never gotten free from. They were, as you've heard before, they were out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in them to them and I will redeem you. What is he saying? Put you back to what you were supposed to be doing with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. That's the last thing. And I will take you as my own people. Excuse me, this is the fourth point. And I will be your God then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So the first core promise that's brought out in Exodus chapter six, and that is still done today with those that, that in the Jewish community, and Jesus did this through the Passover meal, as you look in the New Testament, is number one, I will bring you out. God promises me and you salvation. He promises you and me salvation. And here's the question. And then also there's a problem that lies in this. Just about everybody in America thinks I'm already saved. Is that a true statement? Yeah. And if you don't know the answer to that, the stats have shown that the majority of America thinks that they are saved. The majority of America thinks, well, I have salvation. Jesus has saved me. But what happens is in most of those stats, we think our salvation is our church attendance, our denominational ties that we give to the church. That is only a relationship in a church. But here's the filter if you want to drink from the first cup. Remember, these are offers that we give to you today. This is an offer if you want to drink. And here's the filter that every one of us are somewhere in the four core promises of God. Titus 3, three through eight. This is Message Bible. It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn. I mean, don't you love the Message Bible? I mean, they just says it like it is. We ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, Ordered every which way by our glands. That, what is he saying? My body was calling the shots. My glands were leading the way, doing whatever my glands wanted to do, right? Going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, he saved us from all of that. Now, If you're still doing all that, you may need to drink from this cup today. Like if you're hating and your body is calling all the shots in your life, you need to probably take up the offer of this first cup and drink from this cup of salvation. He goes on, it was all his doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath and we came out new people washed inside and out by the work of the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with him and given us back our lives, and there's more life to come, an eternity of life, you can count on this. Listen, if you're not in a relationship with God, you're not saved. Are you with me, church? If you are not in a relationship with God, you are not saved right? You need to drink from the first cup. You can be new in Jesus Christ's name in a moment, but it's your choice to take up the offer. And so there's a different life in this first cup, but there's more. This just starts the process. You're out of Egypt, and now he's saying, I want to get the junk out of your life. How many of you know serving the Lord is a process? I, mean, how many of you, I, just want, I would just want you to understand, because if you've been to a church, and because I just kind of sometimes like to come up against these, I like to push up against t- test theologies, test people's understanding. Like, wow, if a church has told you from that very moment you accepted Christ, your life will be completely different and perfect from that point forward. You're all, no, no, it is a progressive work of sanctification that will take place throughout your life, As you continue, because you don't have all the knowledge of God at that point, but as you get to know the Lord and you have a heart, you will continually be like him that you'll understand that hurts the heart of God. I do not want to continue to do that or live that way in my life. It's a progressive work. That's how I felt it in my life. I know God can change anybody in a moment, that's for sure. But from what I've seen, it's a progressive work of God upon our lives so that we would become like Jesus, right? Second, I will free you. The majority of you are in this one. So you love God, but you've never experienced God's promise of deliverance. So God promises you and me deliverance. Isn't that a great thing? This is not a priest coming at you with a cross and going, ah, you know, this is, this is not an exorcism. Okay, because that's what people look at when they think of deliverance. Now, that might be the case, but in this case, it's not making a broad statement to say that everybody is demon-possessed. Okay? Because many people look at deliverance, well, I've, I've you know, I've, I've, got, I've got a demon, I'm demonized. That's not always the case. It could be. But but you see this God promises you and me deliverance, and so so this is your sin nature interrupting the process of salvation in your life. Paul confessed, admitted that his sin nature was showing up way too much. How many remember this in Romans 7:25 through 8:2? That's the filter. So then. I find myself, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. How do you get out of it? Now, listen, God is not frustrated with you. He puts an offer on a table. He loves you today, and that offer is deliverance. That means the junk that you have in your life, that is the things that are there that should not be there, that keep disrupting your walk with the Lord, that he says, I want you delivered from that. You are now physically out of Egypt now because why? Well, because you have accepted Christ as your Savior. You've stepped across the line. The next point is God's saying, I want the junk out of you that keeps getting in the way of your relationship with me. So I want to deliver you in my name. So this is great news that we realize we have a God that wants to save us and deliver us to be freed from the law of sin and death. The problem is many Christians get perpetually stuck in this one. There is more. There's the third offer. The third offer is I will redeem you. And now I'm going to tell you, I love all of these, but this is a great one. Redeem you is God puts you back to your original intent. The original intent for your life comes. Redeem you as God puts you back to your original intent. God promises you and me restoration. That's a good thing, amen? That like God has something he wants you and me to do. Yeah, God wants you and me to do something upon this earth. And his plan is a great plan of promises to our lives. And I want to let you know that he wants to redeem you to restore you because we need restored because because sin strips us of the very things of godliness and godly characteristics and the godly nature and the divine nature that God has promised to restore us. In Ephesians 1, 11 through 12, it says it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out everything and that, that That even before we came to Christ, God had his eye on us and said, I already know what I want you to do. I mean, isn't that a beautiful thing that God already knows the intentions and the plans that he has for your life? He says, I have redeemed you, so I am going to restore you back to the original intent that I have for you, and that is a beautiful place to be because he wants to redeem us. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you to make a difference on this earth, and that's a great verse to say amen to. Amen? You're a part of his plan. Did you know that? So many people are struggling with the purpose. So many people are struggling with the plan of God. And he says, hey, I have it for you. Not only have saved you, delivered you, I have a plan to restore you and to redeem you. I've called you by name. Then you get to drink from the fourth cup, which is the ultimate. The final promise is the most intriguing promise. He said, I will take you as my own people. I will take you now as my own people. Do you see the process of these? This is, this is a great book to show the great core promises of the Lord. He has been working on you, and he's been working on you, and he's been working on you, and you. And you, even up there in the balcony that are not listening, thank you. And you, He has been working on each and every one of us. Now it's no longer a person, it's a people. So the final development of your life, He doesn't make you a person, He makes you a people. Oh, he died for you as a person. That's for sure. But you and I have never been called to live a life in Christ, alienated from the people of God. So at the final development of your life, he doesn't make you a person. He makes you a people. This is grand. He's gotten you out. He's gotten the junk out of you and helped you find what you're supposed to do. Then he put you and I in a family. You get that? This is a family. We've said it before because this is all about relationship. This is a God relationship with the children and we're the children of God having a relationship with one another. He put us a part of a family, a team, a place, a city, a church, God never fulfills his best in a person. He always groups you in people. The body of Christ, he puts you together. It is there that you will find the greatness of your life. If you're not connected to the body of Christ, you can't find your greatness. Did you hear me? Because that's his word in Exodus 6. It's not mine. You can't find the greatness and the purpose of all that you are by yourself, alienated as a believer. You find it amongst the people of God. That's the promise of the Lord to find fulfillment. There's no greater joy than finding your fulfillment in this life. So God promises you and me fulfillment. God is never satisfied with uh, uh, what he wants to do in our life until we can say and believe John ten ten, which is the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come to give you life and to have it to the full. That's an understanding verse there. That's also a living verse that we understand. The thief has come to steal, kill and destroy our lives. But Jesus said, I have come to give you fullness. That's a fulfillment, fullness. That's God's offer to you and me today. So there's an offer on the table today to get you out of bondage. There's an offer on the table today that there would be salvation first to your life. See, see the, the problem is, is many of us want to get to the promise, but God says you're going to have to exit where you're at until you find the promised land. I mean... If you're living in Egypt today, you can't have the promise of God. You maybe can be able to look ahead and say, wow, that looks amazing. But until you leave Egypt, that is your old life, you can't move on to deliverance to get the junk out that he wants to get out. You don't have to get it all out by yourself. That's why the work of the Holy Spirit is there to help clean you up, bathe us, help us be more like Jesus. So that then we go on to the next step that he's redeemed us with a purpose in our mind to restore us back to our original intent, that's God's desire, because we're marred in sin, and that then we would go on and be the people of God that he has called us to be. Those are great promises of the Lord, aren't they? Those are great promises of Exodus chapter six. I encourage you, if you're a fast reader, you could pick this book up by Chris Hodges and you could read it very quickly. It's a life-changing book. It's a powerhouse book that we go back and rewind to, the four core promises. So as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed today, before we prepare our hearts to receive communion, today I would like to ask you, have you drank of the cup of salvation? If not right now, you can drink that cup without having the physical cup in your hand. That you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because God's promised to bring us salvation. Second is, He said, I will free you. God's promised to deliver us. If you are here today stuck in sin, and you continue to be in a pattern of sin. God has promised. He said, listen, I, he said, I don't want you staying there. I have delivered you and want deliverance for you, that you would get out of the junk and quit living for the devil and quit living for the lies of Satan and start living for me. And then he said, I'll bring you redemption. I'll restore you back to your original intent. And I will take you then as my own people. What a great promise. Father, we thank you today. And now we respond to your word that we would drink of the cup that you're calling us to drink. Father, that we would check our own hearts. We would check our own hearts right now, Lord. To make sure that our relationship with you is in the right place. Father, we thank you for this and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said,